spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I am Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And today it's raining where I am. It's so awesome. I just love the rain because... (laughs) So there's this part of me that's still bit antisocial, maybe a little more than that. And um, so when it rains, because I mean, Southern California doesn't snow or anything, when it rains, I feel like, ah, nobody's going to come to the door. Of course, it's an illusion. They do anyways. Nobody's really stopped by the rain, but they are slowed down. So I do have that cozy at home feeling. So I'm hoping and wishing for you today a cozy at home feeling as we come into the holiday season. If you have snow then and you're thinking, oh, no, it's cold and it's yucky, go cozy and at home. Enjoy it. Put a blanket around you. Call in sick. Have fun and listen to the show. All right. So uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about... Well, let me tell you in a minute because I want to make sure you know that we are going to have an okay, 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 great guest giveaway guest today. I'm very excited about that. And also, don't forget to stay to the end of the show where we'll do stories from the road. I'm going to introduce today's uh, guest by sort of telling you something that uh, maybe it's a little embarrassing because I used to be so literal. And I remember hearing the term occupational therapist and thinking, oh, it's a therapist that gets people jobs. And so my my imagining when I first heard of an occupational therapist was what, that they would sort of take your hand and lead you around and teach you how to do an interview and, and get you a job. And that was what I understood it to be for a long time because that's what the words implied to me. And as my kids were special needs that I adopted and I took them into the schools and they would say, well, the occupational therapist is working with them. I thought, wow, that's amazing. They're preparing them so young for a job. And, you know, what a great idea. We should start preparing the kids this young because they're special and they'll learn slower. So even though I was kind of wrong, it led to a great teaching. I call it a happy accident when that happens. And what I did was I started teaching my kids how to do their own laundry and cleaning the home and doing all these independent skills at a very young age because I assumed that since they were multiply handicapped, it would take them longer to learn, rightly so and correctly so. And uh, and as a result, my kids ended up independent. So today we're going to talk with an occupational therapist. I'm pretty sure her definition will be different. But look at how it blessed me. So sometimes when you're wrong, you're right. Um, all right, today we're talking with Trina Rice. And she's got a lot of letters after her name, and if I just say them, they sound silly, so I'm going to get her to do that. But she's an owner of Harmony Therapeutics, and she's an occupational therapist, a facilitator and a coach, an international speaker, best-selling author. So she's a very la dee da dee da dee kind of person, but she's going to have lots of fun with us. I can already tell she has the capacity to create a space of no judgment, so that's already good. Allowing what you may have thought 
as a wrongness of you to actually be a strongness. Oh, look. Oh, what a coincidence. It's similar to my opening. She has an ability to look beyond any labels, limitations, disabilities, diagnoses, or definitions to discover the magic that is hidden by illusions. I don't care what you call her. If she can do that, she's my friend. Trina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, enjoy the giggle. I like to be fun at the top. That gets everybody awake and happy. Okay, so what is O T R L M B E C? Come on, what are all those letters? You know what? The initials don't really matter. That was just that's just there. Um, they do. They do matter. They took a lot of schooling, and they and we have to at least you know get something back for it. If we can't put that at the end of our names, go ahead. Tell us what those things uh, mean. Well, I am an occupational therapist. I've been an occupational therapist for 20 years. And um, I also have a master's in bioenergetics. So I've done a lot of stuff um, in terms of energy and being able to read the body. Um, And also I am an access consciousness facilitator. So, and a million other things in between all of that. But, hey... Aren't we all? We all do amazing things. Well, really, you have to be a lot of things if you want to help the special needs population. I really think so. Otherwise, you get to... um tunnel focused and you think that your thing that you went to school in and got letters after your name before and even in the PhD course I'm in there's the factions that get into the data and they're all you know but when this wave does this I'm like there's a human being making those brain waves guys so by being multifaceted I think we keep more aware of the human being what are your thoughts on that yeah that's a great way of describing it it's kind of like um, have it being a diamond and have multifacets and each one you turn it in a different direction gives it another whole other light and that's one of the things that I actually talk about a lot and I actually work with the kids with is looking at things from a whole other perspective because we get so tunnel visioned and a lot of times when a child gets a label or the family then gets labeled then that's all people can focus on versus actually looking at the person, like you were saying, Lynette, like the person of who they really are and looking at their capacities and talents. So that's one of the things that I do with my OT occupational therapy work. Um, I bring in a bunch of different tools and look at things from a different perspective to be able to change the way they function in their daily life. Right. right. Okay, so let's let's get a definite. What the heck is an occupational therapist? Um <laughs> That's a good question. Well, occupational therapy is a huge field. Um, it runs along with physical therapists, speech therapists, but it's it's really cool because it itself has a lot of different facets. Um, you can work in like pediatrics, um, geriatrics, hand therapy, um, rehab, like in hospitals. So it comes like what I what I basically it's working with somebody's ability to function in their daily living. So that's like, for instance, I'll give you like a more medical look at it for a moment. That is if somebody would have a stroke or a head injury, but then being able to learn how to get dressed again, to be able to cook a meal um, and to independently function maybe with some finances. Um, and then in terms of like pediatrics, because I work a lot with kids, it's, it's helping them in the school and at home 
and dealing with like, okay, handwriting, looking at their fine motor skills. Um, and in turn, that involves like, okay, brushing your teeth, like being able to feed yourself, getting dressed, being able to do the buttons and the zippers and the snaps and tying your shoes. So it incorporates a lot of different areas. And one of those areas too is dealing with sensory processing. This mm-hmm. is one of my bigger areas. So does that help explain it a little bit? Yeah, a little bit, but it's still vague. So here's what I'm going to do. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to. I recently sat in on an occupational therapist session um, in Lebanon, actually, and um, here, I'm going to ask a very quickly hit on a few things he did. So the young man, um, minimally verbal, but verbal. Uh, and cooperative and intelligent, just has a lot of trouble getting speech out. So, um, and he has a lot of sensory issues and a tick. So, all right, so that's the young man, and he's about 15. So he walks in, and the first thing they do is they work a little on the computer, and he sits and types the odd word and gets a response or you know, he's learning to see the, how the mouse moves onto the computer, that sort of thing. And then the next thing they do is they get, he wraps him in bubble wrap, and then the boy says, it's okay, it's okay, take it off. It's okay, it's okay, take it off. Um, so he gets this confined feeling, and then they walk on the bubble wrap. And then they go in this room, and I'm leaving lots out, of course. And then they go in this room, um, oh yeah, they did hair brushing at one point, but I'm sure that was sensory. I think it all looked very sensory. And then, um, they go in this other room and there's like this color moving light. What the heck? <laughs> so explain what, what I saw and how that's occupational therapy. Well, that would be doing a lot with the sensory processing, but also your daily living because um, like they were doing with the bubble wrap, they're dealing with the tactile system, which is your touch. And a lot of kids that I work with or a lot of kids on the autism spectrum um, have difficulties with their ability to be touched or to touch, and they're sensitive um, with certain textures. And so being exposing them to different textures um, in a roundabout way allows them to be able to start to integrate that um, so they are able to function better. So that would be like more the bubble wrap. Um, and then the hairbrushing thing is a combination. It's also sensory because you're working on the head because... Um, you know, as an example, if you're really, really sensitive and you're extremely aware, even combing your hair can hurt or getting a haircut can be a ginormous activity. So the hairbrushing is dealing with the sensory stuff, but it's also dealing with the capacity of your daily living. Like, okay, I need to get up and be able to brush my hair. And it also incorporates... Um, crossing the midline of your body because when you brush your hair, you have to hit the left side and the right side and the back side and the front side of your head. And when you have a decreased awareness of your body, sometimes you might just brush one side of your head and not and leave the other side unbrushed. So the hair brushing incorporates all of that, the sensory and the daily living. And then you said they went and did lights. Is that what you said? He sat in a cozy room with a colored light that, that was like... Um, prismatic and moving around. And that would be visual input, visual perceptual. Um, and that's also sensory because it's giving, if he responds really well to visual stuff, um, different colors, different shades, it can be, it can be a calming thing. 
um, and it can also be alerting because when you deal with like, so you're dealing with the sensory again um, and giving them a space for them to be able to have more organization um, and awareness of their body. Cool. Okay. So here, now, not that I'm trying to take away your job or anything, but here's what always comes up for me. So here we have this, um, I'm sitting in this session, it's called Occupational Therapist, they're in all the schools, and basically what I see is what, what families should be doing, what should just be naturally happening. And um, I, I want to talk about this for a second because I think families give away their power too much the minute somebody has a degree or a training. I mean, it was it would be natural to do all that stuff, or at least it certainly was for me, except I do see that when a child is get, given a diagnosis, the parents get frozen in place and now stop doing things that they would have done naturally with their child without a diagnosis. So let's play with that a little bit. Do you have any stories that maybe match that or anything you want to share with that idea? Well, with that, I, I've seen that a lot too. And, you know, the one thing I want to say is one of the tools that I actually use a lot is what do you know? Because I'm all about empowering the child and empowering the family. And, you know, a lot of times who knows the child the best? They themselves and their family. So regardless of whatever label you have and whatever professional comes, you also have to ask, hey, what do I know about my own child? And so one of the things I also talk about is like letting go and releasing all of those decisions, the judgment, the computations, like the conclusions about what a label is or what it's not. And everywhere your child has been labeled or somebody you know has been labeled. Right. Because one of the greatest tools is like I, with the work that I do, um, I do a lot of body work as well with my occupational therapy. And I ask questions. I'm constantly being in the question because the question brings up awareness and it gives you more choice, more possibilities, which then in turn gives you a greater contribution. So one of the questions that I ask is like, so what do you know? Um, So that's kind of where I'm at with like labels. I guess some of the stories that kind of goes along with that that I could share is um, I was working with a, a young man, I think, at the time of when the story was, he was probably about 15, and he is diagnosed, he has a diagnosis of autism. He's actually nonverbal um, in the terms of that he doesn't use words to communicate, that he communicates through gestures, and he also did some, like, facilitating typing on his iPad. So, like, he is able to use his index finger and hit the keys, and sometimes he needs the tactile input that we were talking about, the touch just to be able to perceive where his hand is better so he can get the keys easier. Um, But he will communicate that way. Like you can type out a question and then he will answer um, by typing it it out. So he was having a a really difficult time in school. He was, I think I didn't tell you his age. I think at the time he was about 15. Um, And he, he had a para with him throughout parts of the day, which is just a pair of the paraprofessional, which is an assistant to help out at schools. And he was getting to the point where he was throwing himself on the floor, like tantruming in the middle of the classroom. 
And I got to the point where he started bite. He was biting himself. He was pulling the teacher's hair. Um, it just wasn't necessarily a pretty sight for a very. He was like six foot tall. He was like a tall kid, you know, mm-hmm. to be like laying on the floor, bashing himself. Um, so it got to the point where he almost got kicked out of school one time, and I sat down with him. And it's being in a space of like no judgment of what's going on. No judgment of their behaviors, because behaviors is just a form of communication. And so I sat down with him and I asked, hey, so what do you know about throwing those temper tantrums at school? And so he typed math and social studies. And then I asked him if um, he was having difficulty with those subjects, and what he responded was teacher. And so I asked again, what do you know? And his response was, she thinks I'm stupid. And I'm like, did she actually say that to you? And he's like, no, but that's what she thinks. I can hear it. And I then proceeded to ask him, so do you think that you're stupid? He goes, no, but my teacher does. And I just I just responded in a way. I said, do you know how amazingly brilliant you are? Um, it's just that you perceive things differently than other people, and you see things differently than probably a teacher. And he's like, yeah, but she doesn't get me. So what came from that is then I, um, so I'm using that tool of what you know, because I had Mm -hmm. to ask him the question to get that. But what came of it, I was, um, I said, so, you know, people can project a lot onto you and and maybe those are her judgments of herself because she doesn't know how to communicate with you. And she gets frustrated and she herself may think that she's stupid because she can't communicate, not that she thinks she's stupid, but she I was trying to explain it to him in his language. Um, so another one of the – so that's kind of the story. Okay, I love that. Wait a minute. I'm yeah. going to interject on that. So I love that. Yeah. First of all, I love that you're willing to teach this person who – Dar, please don't interrupt the radio show. I have to re-say that now, okay? <laughs> I love – actually, I'll leave it in because what the heck. It's, it's Christmas and we're family and you want pudding for breakfast. Okay. <laughs> I love that you want to teach this person the the cognitive realities of relationship and and the other sort of the other person thinking like what's the other person's motivators what's the other person's thoughts this so often nobody teaches this and when they don't teach this the way they would teach it if they were neurotypical we end up with children who don't have frontal lobes and don't have theory of mind and don't have understanding of others because we didn't teach it because <laughs> we said oh they don't they don't understand so we won't tell them how silly is that so kudos to you um, another thought that could be shared there and maybe you did or maybe you didn't or maybe it's for another day but was you know to tell him that he's confirming or teaching her that he is stupid by having a, a tantrum and so he's distracting her from realizing it's all about her and given that extra layer of so if you don't tantrum she'll have a moment to see that you can handle stuff and then maybe you can convince her that you're not stupid but either way it helps you so that's yeah. that the next layer up which is really cool but regardless the very fact that you were willing to treat him like that is amazing i'm going to underline another thing you said which i'm so excited about you said meeting him in a place of no judgment um and that behavior is just another form of communication okay parents and therapists really get that 
please, because that's the difference between why the child is melting down and when they don't. I've, it's literally, there's techniques, sure, but really the difference is I have the same experience. I walk in, there's a child who's, who's always melting down, I don't judge, I talk to them in these concepts and, and realities, and they just stop melting down. It's just about reinforcing it through lecturing and judgment. Just don't. It's communication. Figure it out. All right, I love that. I just had to underline that because I thought that was super, super important, what you said there. So, okay, so that's a great story. I have to do the mid-break. We're going to come back and talk some more. All right, you are listening to A New Spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, but today we have a guest who's also a story teacher. How cool is that? I'm otherwise known as the Brain Broad, and remember to stay to the end of the show where I will do stories from the road. And today we're going to have, okay, 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 the great guest giveaway. It's so exciting because it's it's holidays. We have to have everything. Um, and we're talking with Trina Rice, who is an occupational therapist, but she's more than that. She's so much more than that. And so we're going to get into a little bit more about what she does and her book and all that stuff now. Um, keep your ears attentive because lots of what she's saying is really important to learn. All right, Trina, we're back. That was quick and easy. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about how you, well, like your book, what's your book about? Um, I have a book. It's called Possibilities in Parenting. I actually, it's a co-authored book, um, and I have a chapter in there called Coloring Outside the Line. And it's basically me as an occupational therapy therapist and with all the t- tools that I use, showing up in kids' world and looking at, hey, do we have to actually function inside the box? Do we actually have to color inside the line? What other possibilities exist out there if we're willing to actually step out beyond the confinement and the labels and color outside the lines? So my chapter is just about that, and it includes, like I ask in there, like, hey, if you choose to be a color in the crown box, what would you be? Are you black and white? Are you, like, polka dotted? Mm -hmm. So it's basically a chapter of um, giving tools, kind of some of them that I'm talking about, like giving tools to be able to share and create more ease with your family. Um, and then there's another book as well that I have uh, stories in, and it's called, so that was called Possibilities in Parenting. Nice. And the other book is Would You Teach a Fish to Climb a Tree? A Different Perspective on ADD, ADHD, OCD, and Autism. And it's also an amazing book. And it has tons of tools in there um, to assist with looking at things from a different way and giving you functional, pragmatic tools that you can actually apply. Wow, that sounds awesome. Certainly the titles are fantastic. I like the play on the Einstein quote. So um, when you think about that, when you think about the whole perspective thing and the coloring inside and outside the lines, who needs to learn that more, the kids or the teachers? Was that a setup? <laughs> I would say mostly yes. Your the parents, the teachers, the caregivers. Um, but that's the awesome thing, you know, about um, all of this and about autism. You know, that's what I really like to share is that autism is really the capacity to be the question when no one else will be. Like these kids show up. 
And they're just like, hey, here I am. And I'm going to be this way and I'm going to do this because I'm going to put you in this question. You know, they don't, con- they don't conform to this reality. And with, by being that way, look how many things have gotten shifted and changed. Yeah, working with them with myself, it has like immensely increased my awareness. And it has so assisted me in, yeah, looking at things from outside the box, outside the line. Yeah, no, totally. I, you know, that, and that is the gift in autism or in any special needs where you have to shift perspective. Any big problem, any big challenge. Um, and I know that it bothers people sometimes to hear us call it a gift, but we have a choice. You can take it as a tragedy or a gift. And when you take it as a gift, you get learnings and blessings from it. So it seems like a better choice to me. Um, I mean, I totally agree with you. I call it the tornado, you know. It's, it comes in, it, it destroys everything, and then you rebuild. And most of the stuff that we have out there in the educational system could use a little destroying. And same with some of our preconceptions as parents. So um, making people be, be able to handle finding beauty when you color outside the lines is probably a good thing. Yeah, and and really it is. A tornado is a great way to describe it, too, because... Um, these kids with different, whatever, labels, disabilities, they show up as like this chaos in our world where we try to make an order everything and make it so linear. Um, and, yeah, sometimes you have to destroy. In order to create something, you first have to destroy. Very often. Yeah. All right, Trina, you're awesome. I, I love your attitudes and, and your beliefs about the children. you have another story for us that maybe helps us to see the beauty of a special child? Yeah, I, yeah, I do. Um, one of the things that I wanted to share right before I start the story, though, is that you're, we are so aware, and these kids are really, really aware. They're like a psychic SpongeBob sticking on all this stuff all the time and being aware of 360 degrees around them for miles. And our point of view actually creates our reality, creates what we actually see, believe, and all of that. So one day I was working, um, I was with one of the kids that I was working with, and he decided he wanted to, he wanted to do some more teenager or, like, quote-unquote, age-appropriate activities. And I asked him what he wanted to do because he wanted to be more social, and he said he wanted to learn to play golf. So I was like, okay. So we just went to the hitting range, and we were just, like, put the, we were putting the golf balls on the tee so that they could hit them, and I helped him hold the golf club, and I was showing him how to – I am so not a golfer, so – you know, but I was ho- I was showing him how to do it and how to hit, you know, hit it. And he kept, he hit, he like, struck, like he swung the club and he kept swinging it and he kept missing it, kept missing it. And he got to the point where he got so frustrated that he actually threw himself down on the green. And, um, so it didn't really, it didn't really go smoothly at all. And we got out of the um, golf course off the green and got back home. And um, he got into a space. Like, I allowed him just to decompress. So, like, for him, his way of doing that to get out of his, like, distance mode is to, like, sit on a couch 
and he has his music playing on his iPad, and he's flicking through his pictures, and he's flinging his thoughts in his purple vision all at the same time. And I let him be in that space for a while. Um, and then when he had calmed down, I said, would you be willing to talk to me about your golfing experience? And so we did, and he basically, and he's, he's typing as well too, and I, I said to him, so I asked him again, like, what do you know? And one of the things that he, I said, I'm trying to remember how it went, but basically what happened is I asked him, what do you know? And I said, he's like, it's hard to see the, the ball, see the ball in a vast space. And I was like, huh. So does it need to be a different color of ball? Does the ball need to be moving? Like, what else? And he's like, it would have to be green to match the grass. I was like, well, that's rather interesting. And so I was like, I just sat there for a moment, and then he asked me a question. He goes, so do you you just see one ball when you're golfing? And I said, yeah, I I see the ball. I focus on the ball that's on the tee, and I focus on it until I hit it. And he's like, and his response to that was, oh, I see thousands of, ball at one, thousands of balls at once. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay, I only see one. You see thousands. And so I was like, well, that would make it a little difficult to hit the ball off of the tee. Um, so it was that in itself was like a huge eye-opener for me and the fact that it changed the, my perspective, like, of, wow, that's how aware they are. They see everything, past, right. present, and future. Well, I don't know that it <clears throat> that it's even that. I had pixelated vision when I was young, and so I would have seen a lot of balls, too. Um, but they wouldn't, only some of them would have been full balls, some of them would have been partial balls, like, but they, it would have been, there would have been a lot. And so then, it, yeah, I would have had to learn by watching other people do it, and then, and then not pay attention to my body and let my body do what I learned by watching other people do it. It was really right. interesting. Yeah. Well, you, and then uh, go ahead. I was just going to say that's kind of what ended up what occurring. We actually went golfing again, and I gave him a choice of a, a red, green, black, or white ball, and we were going to be on a green, like, turf, green grass, and mm-hmm. he chose the green ball. Yeah. And Surprise, yeah. That, then he was able to, he was able to hit it. Yeah, the opposite of what everyone else would have thought. And that's that's why you got to let them color outside the lines and ask them why they're coloring there. Okay, we're actually out of time. I want you to share your contact info and one last wonderful thought. Um, my contact information, you can find me at trinarice.com, and my email is trina at trinarice.com. Um, and I facilitate classes and do stuff around the world. And I guess one last thought would just be, you know, with all of this, um, there's so many tools and different things to work with kids with labels or diagnosis. And what if, what if we looked at it as if they are the key to unlocking the separation that's behind the words, that's behind the constructs, that's behind the limitations? And what if they are allowing us to look at things differently and to be a space of total communion? That's a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much, Trina, for being a part of the show. Trina Rice. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Good. Yeah, it goes fast. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.
Okay, that was Trina Rice. And now we have, okay, 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 it's time for the great guest giveaway. Shock of all shots, I'm actually going to do it. It's not going to be me, but it is going to be a member of my family because it's family holiday season time. And I can't think of a better gift for you to get than this. So, welcome to the show. The person who has the best name ever because I named her. I made it up, and it's probably very Googleable because there aren't a lot of these people except for the folks that have copied us. So, Tassara Shelton, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> and <laughs> Thank I you very much for being a, a good fan. Yeah, I'm go a ahead, big go fan ahead. of my name as well. Thank you for also <laughs> giving it to me. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. I was um, telling somebody your name recently, and they were all getting it wrong and spelling it wrong and all telling me what it meant. So there were like three or four different meanings to your name, but none of those were actually your name. It was really funny because people never can quite grasp it quite from the sound it, of yeah. it. They always get close, and I've, I've heard that too. I've had many people tell me, oh, I love that. Your name means this and your name means that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay, we're going to cop to the truth here right off the bat. So when, when Tassara was young, she stole a poem from me and she put it in, she put it in a contest and won. And um, so she began with early plagiarism, but eventually developed her own skills, and she kind of cops to that in the book, I think. You do, yes. don't you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, okay. I do. Yes, I do. Although, admittedly, in the book, I credit you with the version of your poem that I kind of changed. Gets <laughs> <laughs> that's very... Co- that's what children do to you. They change it all. All right. Yeah. But you never cop to this. So I'm, we're gonna, I'm gonna ask you. So the, the title... Spinning in Circles and Learning from Myself, a collection of stories that slowly grow up. First of all, I love the title, but I would because... Yes, I I have copped to it in many interviews before. When I'm asked how I came up with the title, I was um, spinning in circles in my kitchen dancing to a song that you wrote on your Crazy to Stain CD, which is spinning in circles and laughing to myself. Yes. Yeah, and that lyric is so, yeah, I kind of did this, just like you, it was a good, that's a good way to introduce it, because I kind of did the same thing with it that I had done with your poem. I'm like, oh, I love this so much, I'm just going to tweak it for me. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And you know, in the olden days, I would have thought that that meant you stole it when I was a young kid. And as I matured and grew up, I realized that's all anybody ever does. All music's already been written. All stories have already been told. We just give our version and our perspective. So I love your book, I, you. which is lucky since you talk about me in it. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, you wouldn't be on the show. Um, and I love that it's a collection of stories that slowly grow up. That was a neat idea you had. So explain it to people and tell them why they want this this book. And if you don't do a good job of it, I'm telling them why. <laughs> um, I think they should want the book uh, largely because I say really cool things about my mom in it. But really and truly, um, I, I what I what I've done with my collection of stories that slowly grow up is basically tell stories with intention and learn the skill of telling those stories as I do it. So things happen in life and we have an opportunity with every single story we tell ourselves and our family and friends about our life to tell it um, in a way that benefits us and that helps us discover answers or happiness or whatever it is we're looking for in the moment. And I started doing that when you invited me to start writing for you. I started telling the stories 
that I was writing with an intention, whether it was I'm going to try to get people to buy my mom's book or watch my mom's show and then slowly um, learn from my mistakes. That was the first thing I wanted to do. I wanted to learn from my mistakes, and I wanted other people to, to not feel so lonely and know that we can learn from our mistakes. And then more than that, step forward and do things on purpose uh, that will help the world, as opposed to just learning from our mistakes, be bigger. Uh, and I slowly did that through my writing for the most part, in the way I tell the story of my day or of a mistake I made or of something that happened to me. And throughout the book, it just sort of matures and grows bigger. But always, it's from myself. I'm learning it from myself. So yeah, that's it's kind really, of... <laughs> it's really, really cool. Like, it's, even your grammar improves as it goes. It's like you yes. do feel like you're slowing, grow, slowly growing up. And why I, another reason why I think they really need it, from, given that this is the, a new spin on autism, where we do spinning in circles in the theme song. <laughs> yeah. It seems like we're all in the circle today. Um, I really think that they they should, well, I don't know if you should or you shouldn't, people, but as parents, one of the challenges we often have is the mess. And life's messy. And when you have special kids and everyone's giving you different ideas of what you should do or you shouldn't do, like, it's so messy. And you feel like you have to be perfect because everyone says, if you don't get them now, if you don't help them now, it's, it's, it, you're, you're, that's it. It's over. They're institutionalized. And we were so messy. And from Tassara's eyes and memories, you get a sense of how completely messy we were. And yet everyone improved. And I think that's a gift that I would love. I'd love them to walk along with you. And just these little stories, that's another thing. They fit into a mom's busy day. She can read a, bit, a little story, then read another little story. So I think you're perfect for this pre-holiday um, Hanukkah Christmas gift offering. Is there anything else beyond what I just said you think we should say before you offer it up? No, but I, I love that, and you're right. I, I didn't intend it, but I thought of it later that it really is kind of a nice book for that where you can pick it up and nibble on a story here and nibble on a story there um, for, yeah, for, for busy people and busy parents. And I'm not autistic, so the stories of autism are not, you know, where I'm talking about how it it was for me as an autistic person, but I was surrounded by it and so many different places on the spectrum. And so it's all kind of represented, um, all the different places on the spectrum, but, but how I learned to understand it from the mess that, that, yeah, that we were like a messy, happy, obnoxious, loud, fun family. And I just kind of had to figure it all out. You were always teaching me, but then I had to, spin in circles and learn it for myself. So you kind of go along the ride with me as I figure it all out. But, yeah, everyone is kind of represented. We had, and everybody gets better. Right. So, So people, people, you want this book. All right. I'll tell them what they have to do. Um, Email me, mom, number four, evermore, at Juno, not Gmail, J-U-N-O dot com. And in the subject line... I should make them have to spell Tassara right. Uh, I'm not going to do that to you. Just put spinning in circles. Tassara, it has to be short because I've already had a long guest. I love that you're offering uh, just one copy of the book, people, so somebody grab it. Yeah, tell us your name, and I'll I'll, I'll sign it for you. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) 
That's beautiful. And I'll see you Saturday. My daughter's coming Yay! for her holiday. <laughs> All right. I love you. Thank you for letting me share my book. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay, that was Tassara Shelton, my daughter, amazing firstborn child that she has just had her 42nd birthday. That's how old I am. Okay, and we're expecting the first great-grandchild. Life is beautiful and blessed and a very lucky person. Okay, that means she's expecting her first grandchild, so look at that. The lineage continues, lucky us. Okay, I want to do a quick story, and this one is a story of me. So it is time for Stories from the Road. When uh, Trina was talking about the questions bringing special knowledge, I loved it because that was one of the first things that really helped me evolve was I was training at a place called the Option Institute, and they ask great questions. And since then, I've learned it in a lot of different therapy schools, you know, about Socratic questions and that sort of thing. Um, Yes, you may have that, Dar. So um, I, he's having the pudding that I mentioned. Christmas pudding, what can I say? So, uh, so anyway, I, um, I remember the very first time somebody asked me a question that I never would ask myself, and I thought, oh, my God, that's a great question. That changes my life. And it's because the answer then came from me. A brand-new perspective, a paradigm shift happens when you ask questions and allow people to find their own answers. With that in mind, the, the concept of, of do what you know to do or what do you know is huge. So again, in the same training place, I heard the question or the statement, do what you know to do. And we were doing this weird exercise where we were all blinded. We had blindfolds on. We had a, a person keeping us from falling and hurting ourselves. And we were in a big field. And it was all very experiential and weird. Um, but the, the leader kept saying, his name is Bears, by the way. The leader kept saying, uh, do what you know to do. And it was so funny because it rang in my head for years, especially when, and here's the two story, well, the one story and then the affirmative story. So I'm, I'm training now at many trainings. I like to train. So I'm training at Sunrise and I'm learning about child facilitation and play therapy, especially for autism, but for all special disorders. And, and because I'm there to train, I've done the thing that I referred to earlier. I've stopped having my own talent. I'm trying to learn theirs. Now, I'm a mom of many kids, and they've all done really well at this point, but I want to be even better because I have a few that aren't doing as well as I'd like them to. So I'm taking this training, and they're giving me the techniques, and I'm in a room, a room with a, a child and playing with him and doing everything wrong, terrifying this child, like this poor kid. Every time he looks at me, I, I'm so gregarious and big that it's scary. So I literally teach him to have no eye contact. My apologies, little Jake. Um, and it was because I had stopped using my own instincts. I had stopped doing what I knew to do. I would never have behaved that way. I would never have been so foolish as to not notice that when they looked, when this child looked at me, he needed a feeling of warmth and comfort. And if me being too big made him afraid, then I would be small and quiet and warm and loving. So I would have naturally as a parent with any child in the world done the right thing. But the second I started learning techniques, I didn't know how to do anything. Now, I see all kinds of parents do that when they're learning from me. And I try very hard to not 
stress them out so that they lose their own skills. I try very hard to reaffirm for them that they already know to use analogies of if this was a regular three-year-old coming over, what would you do? And I know he's 15, but if he was a three-year-old and couldn't talk and was trying, right? So I try to do all of that, but it's still very scary when someone's teaching you techniques and your child is special and you just want to help them. So parents, you already know. Do what you know to do and learn more, not less. Don't drop your tools. Don't drop your knowledge. Add to it. Here's a final great example. So I'm in the very last semester of my, it's, this is recent, this is right now today. I'm in the very last semester of my PhD. I, I have a teacher who, it's not even an, that important of a class. I just need the last credits. And I have a teacher who's all about presentation. He's all about where the comma is, whether the, the font is the right size and the right style. And the, he's all about that and not about content. And so because of his style of teaching and he's slightly threatening, I stop knowing what I, doing what I know to do. I might fail this class. I'm sitting on tender hooks waiting to see because I sent him a paper. It was not the kind of paper that I normally write. I'm normally high 90s, but I might actually fail simply because he scared me out of knowing how to do what I know to do. And all my other papers are great. So here's what I'm telling you. Your whole life, you are challenged by this. Your whole life, this is an issue. It never goes away. Every time you find yourself lost at the hands of a teacher or an authority figure, take a step back, take a deep breath, and remember... You already know. Do what you know. And then add to that. But don't drop your own knowledge. I'm Lynette Louise, the story teacher host. You've been listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. Thank you for being here. Because without you, I'd just be talking to myself. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to our Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear.